0: Hey guys, it's Kayla. It's Evan. And welcome to Tricks. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Tricks. Welcome. Today we're going to be talking about something a little bit close to my heart, because I've been looking at it for the last six months. <laughs> so.
1: What have you found?
0: <laughs> absolutely nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> So today we're going to be talking about chorioamnionitis. Just a
1: reminder that this podcast should not be used for medical advice. Any queries or concerns that you do have, please see your healthcare provider.
0: So basically, chorio is defined as the infection and inflammation of the membranes that surround baby whilst baby is in utero. Um, otherwise, we know it as the triple I. So intrauterine inf- inflammation, infection or both. We're really concerned about it because of the fact that 40% of preterm births are as a direct result of chorio. So infection of the membranes is something that we're concerned about because it can lead to inflammation and infection in both mum and bubs, which is something that we'll discuss later on as well.
1: Mm-hmm. So let's just remind ourselves about the anatomy again. And if you are you know, wanting to go back and learn a little bit more about the anatomy, go back to our previous um, episode.
0: But I reckon we'll, I reckon we'll upload a really cool, um, really cool diagram for you guys. So yeah. that's, our, that's our, Instagram as well. Yeah.
1: And so we've got the um, membranes that surround the fetus, um, and we'll go from kind of um, inwards, well, outwards to inwards.
0: I Out, suppose. Outwards to inwards. Yeah. yeah. Go closer um, to baby last. Yes.
1: Yeah. So first of all, I mean, we've got our um, uterus, which is divided into its three layers. Which is the uh, perimetrium, the myometrium, and the endometrium. No, um, the myometrium <laughs> being that muscular layer. Um, then we go into the decidua, yep. um, and I guess when we go into those layers that are kind of further in into the um, into the actual space, we've got the decidua and then the chorion. Yeah. Um, and infection between the two layers, we put them together and we call it um, the chorion decidual inf- uh, junction or chorion mm, decidual, decidual infection. infection. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then we've got the chorion and the amnion. Um, and then when we have infection in this space, um, also infecting the amniotic fluid, we call this chorion amnionitis.
0: Yeah, yeah. What, to make it a little bit more confusing for us all, there are actually two types of chorio. So the first is clinical chorio. Well, it's clinical chorio amnionitis. So this is an acute symptomatic condition. And it often presents, and we'll talk more about the symptoms later on, but often we see things like fever in mum, uterine tenderness, genital discharge, tachycardia in mum, and signs of fetal infection. This is opposed to its counterpart in histological chorio. And it's really hard to diagnose and it's really hard to treat because women don't present with any clinical or microbiological findings associated with acute infection. And Without symptoms, it becomes harder or nearly impossible to treat until the postpartum period. Postpartumly or postnatally, we usually um, see choreoamnionitis upon histological exam- examination of the placenta, the fetal membranes, and the umbilical cord.
1: Yeah, and this is usually why, in um, you know, premature delivery or preterm birth, we mm. send the placenta off for uh, histolog- histopathological yeah. sampling
0: because yeah. that depend That will then alter how we look at baby as well postnatally so not only do we worry about prematurity of organ systems and we worry about things like sepsis and Mm -hmm. inflammation and the side effects of inflammation but we'll touch on that a little bit later on so let's
1: let's go into the causes of choreo a little bit so first of all what is it so it's a bacterial infection that usually begins within the urogenital tract so it most likely uh, begins either in the vagina the anus or the rectum And this is what we like to call an ascending infection. So bacteria start in these areas and then they ascend through the vagina to the uterine cavity. So in particular, we're looking at both gram-negative and gram-positive bacteria. And then we further subdivide this into aerobic and anaerobic, just depending on how they get their oxygen source. So if they need oxygen, they're aerobic. If they don't need oxygen, Mm. they're anaerobic. Um, And really all these bacteria have been implicated in this microbial invasion. I think most commonly though it's e coli and streptococcus uh, so
0: genital mycoplasmas plasmas, right. yeah and ureaplasmas and
1: and that's i guess what we were going to talk about next so yeah. the genital mycoplasmas and the ureaplasmas they're the most common including Urea plasma ure- ureticulum, ureaticulum
0: urealyticum oh no urealyticum right. imagine right. if i corrected you and that's wrong <laughs> but,
1: but also uh, but also include group b strep gram negative um, e coli as well And then within the mid-trimester of pregnancy, ultrasound, ultrasonographic evidence of a short cervix may be the only clinical finding. So this yeah. is that cervical insufficiency that we've talked about before. Mm-hmm. And this is associated with chorio, irrespective of bacterial cultures from the amniotic fluid. And I guess what is cervical insufficiency or having a short cervix? Um, this is the painless opening of the cervix. So the cervix becomes shorter prior to when it's supposed to become shorter. Yeah. And this increases the likelihood of premature delivery in choreo. Yeah. So I think it's, um, I can't remember the exact... Length, but I think it's something like five centimeters. I'm not quite sure. Yeah, like they I can't remember ultrasound when they do the booking. Yeah, scans. I can't. I yeah. can't
0: exactly remember the measurements either. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the symptoms of choreo. Again, the big thing to note here is that often choreo isn't diagnosed until delivery or until we see things like prom or pre labour rupture of membranes that we've spoken that we've spoken speaking <laughs> that we've spoken about in our previous episode. Um, P prom or mummies in labor prematurely. Um, but also a risk factor for the development of choreo is Prem Labour. Or the rupturing of fetal membranes for a long period of time, mm-hmm. and this is why we give things like antibiotics after our waters have broken for a certain period. Of time. Yeah. So we're, we're recording in Evan's room, and I can hear his dog scratching I know, on my, the door. My pug's really trying to come in. But, <laughs> what was that, but
1: that really makes sense, though, because the amniotic fluid, the amniotic sac, sorry, almost acts like this barrier between mum and baby. Yeah, and when that breaks early, that's a that's a really Easy time for this ascending infection that can take place. Yeah, Yeah. of
0: course. Um, So if mum is symptomatic or presents with clinical choreo, the things that we'll look for, the things that we may see, are things like a high temperature and fever of greater than 38 degrees an increase in heart rate, um, in both mum and baby. So we see things like fetal tachycardia of more than 160 beats per minute for a period of more than 10 minutes. So we are not including here accelerations, deceleration, decelerations, and periods of marked variability. Mm -hmm. Um, we also see things like sweating. And if you come to think of it, these are the same things that are occurring when we have like a cold or flu like symptoms as well. So very similar. Um, We also see things like maternal leukocytosis, um, a uterus that is tender to touch and discharge from the, from the vagina. And this usually has a very strong odor
1: that -hmm. is
0: associated with this. There is a strong odor that is associated with this discharge as Mm -hmm. well.
1: So let's go a little bit into diagnosis and treatment. So with choreo, generally they're clinical findings. So they're made on clinical suspicion, um, and generally, as well we can only really tell this if mum's symptomatic if mum's yeah. asymptomatic then there's really no way of knowing yeah um and i guess how do we actually do the diagnosis so first of all we we look at things that we can actually see so things like a documented fever so this is an isolated maternal free a fever and like you've touched on before um is a temperature of greater than 39 degrees um we also um think about things like um you know, the the fetal tachycardia and stuff like that, which you've talked about, which you can detect with a fetal uh, Doppler Mm -hmm. or using um, fetal CTG. Um, And then also things like, um, also, I guess, signs that a woman would present with on clinical examination during your history taking, um, things like that discharge or or the bad odour. There are also, um, I guess, clinical signs that occur within the body. And these are generally what occurs during infection. So this increase in, um, leukocytes, so that leukocytosis, so the white blood cells increase in number, mm-hmm. things like an increase in the CRP. Um, mm-hmm. So this is the C-reactive protein, protein that increases yeah. when you have inflammation. And then I think you've also got a little bit later on that increase in interleukin-6 because that's one of the chemical mediators that yeah. occur.
0: pro-inflammatory cytokine, yeah. During
1: infection. Um, and then as well, um, you know, obviously on the actual examination itself, when we do the speculum and the VE, you'd be looking for things like discharge from the cervical os. Yeah. Yeah. Um, then you can also do swabs of the vaginal tract but I guess the difficulty with that is a lot of the um, bacteria that colonise the uterus are a are, are, are normal commensal bacteria yeah. so it's kind of hard to just do yeah.
0: a swab. so some of yeah some of them are part of the normal flora mm. yeah so it does become difficult mm-hmm. um to confirm a triple i though mm-hmm. um we do everything mm-hmm. that you just mentioned plus things like amniocentesis proven infection through a positive gram stain mm-hmm. so gram staining is just a technique essentially to see bacteria under the microscope and identify what kind of bacteria like it's a i guess so, gram positive and gram negative bacteria present in different ways mm-hmm. through a gram stain, as well as their shape. So, it helps us to determine the kind of bacteria mm-hmm. that are colonizing Absolutely. the amni- amniotic fluid.
1: Yeah, we need to know what's, what what type of bacteria they are before we can treat it. To be yeah, to be mm-hmm. able to treat it, it
0: treat it exactly. Um, low glucose level or positive amniotic fluid culture and placental pathology revealing the diagnostic. Mm-hmm. features of infection
1: low glucose is really cool so in in kind of protected spaces like things like the amniotic fluid and things like the csf in the spinal cord Mm. when bacteria grow they need glucose to survive yeah as they eat the glucose i guess and they metabolize it the glucose levels lower yeah
0: yeah yeah um in regards to lab tests for women that are asymptomatic and present with things like premature labor or um things like PROM or PPROM, we do things like examine, an examination of the amniotic fluid, maternal blood studies, urine analysis, and GBS screening as well. Um, testing women that are, again, high that present with a high temperature um, and we're querying potential chorio. we do things, again, like Evan was saying, the white blood cell count, the CRP, the interleukin-6 level. So as everyone's saying, interleukin-6 is a pro-inflammatory cytokine that does increase within our serum um, in the process of inflammation.
1: So I suppose after we've done our examinations and we've confirmed choreo and now we've done our gram stain and we know what's going on, we generally treat with ampicillin and gentamicin. And these are effective against both gram-negative and gram-positive agents. Mm -hmm. If the person is susceptible to penicillin or if they do have an allergy, then we can give them vancomycin. Um, And then again, when endometriosis is suspected, endometritis. Of, sorry, oh, I always say. <laughs> I know you. To They're really are too similar. Well. <laughs> yeah, and um, when endometritis is suspected after the delivery of baby, then we can give clindamycin or metro, um, and these are two antibiotics that deal with the anaerobic bacteria.
0: Yeah. So, this is kind of going into now my area of, well, like, I guess what I'm looking into mm-hmm. uh, within my anesthesia, on- which is why we are so worried about choreo
1: and i'm glad we're doing this now because we've said for ages that we were going to go into research. yeah and we still haven't really gone into it that much so this will be good
0: so this is more of like a taste of some of what i'm looking at Mm. (laughs) i think what i'm looking at is a bit more complicated a bit more niche but um, I'll talk about that later on anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so what we know is that labor is a result of an inflammatory process, or so it is hypothesized anyway. So as a result of infection, we see an induction of some sort of inflammatory pathway resulting in a pro- in the processes such as rupturing of membranes, cervical dilation and ripening, whether this occurs at term or whether this occurs uh, prematurely. What we know is we previously have said is that choreo is an antecedent to 25% to 40% of all preterm births and two thirds of extremely preterm births are as a direct consequence of fetal exposure to choreo. as a result of prematurity in itself, so let's look at this in isolation, we see a substantial amount of complications in baby due to things like an immaturity of organ systems, and these organ systems are unable to cope with extrauterine life. Mm-hmm. So we see an increase in neonatal mortality, but also a potential for lifelong complications, including impacted neurodevelopmental outcomes. So we look at things like cognition, intellectual and behavioral difficulties, and as well as significant respiratory illness. Mm
1: -hmm. Actually, one thing that I'll add to that as well is there was a really big study that was done on prematurity that followed premature children through life. And there's also increased risk of certain chronic diseases as well. So things like diabetes and stuff like that are definitely increased in that population. So not only is it um, in fact I- impacting on um, mortality but it also has a significant impact on morbidity yeah and that thing that we talk about with you know qualities like those quality adjusted life years these children don't get to live the same standard of life that they would had they not have been born prematurely, prematurely yeah and i guess the reason we care is this is not a random premature delivery this is a delivery antecedent to an infection an something that's preventable yeah yeah, yeah.
0: well yeah, you'd think that yeah. an infection or some sort of inflammatory process would be preventable, but mm. because it's so hard to diagnose, it's exactly. just it's just happening. Yeah. Um, so I guess more into what I'm specifically looking at is what we... What, 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 I can't speak today. What we also know is that choreo is able to lead to a syndrome in baby known as the fetal inflammatory response syndrome, or otherwise known as FERS. So imagine you're stuck in a room and you're exposed to something other than oxygen. So say we're sitting in Evan's room right now, say he's got COVID. I'm going to be breathing that in. Everything that I'm exposed to, I'm breathing this in. And then say I had food here and it was landing on my food and it was able to contaminate my food hypothetically. You're then swallowing this as well. What we know is that in utero babies swallow and babies do practice their breathing. So if baby is surrounded by bacteria or any sort of inflammatory products within the amniotic fluid you would also assume that they would be able to gain direct access to baby i didn't get that could you try again uh, i mean if that's like a i hope i'm communicating this well because if siri can't understand <laughs> um so direct access points for these products include things like the skin of baby the umbilical cord and this is known as Funny ciders or ciders. It's, really it's not fun. It's no. not funny at all, Evan. <laughs> it
1: should be
0: unfunny ciders. <laughs> um We also see them via fetal breathing movements, which again, babies don't breathe in utero, but they do practice their breathing mo- movements, um, and via fetal swallowing of that amniotic fluid.
1: Mm-hmm. And I think one of the other things that we should definitely say as well is the skin is very important because often in prematurity, it's not well developed. Yes, so exactly definitely right. It's a very easy access point for those bacteria.
0: Yeah. So as a result, we have a profound systemic inflammation in baby. So this occurs via activation of their innate immune response, importantly, and for me, within the lungs and within the brain. Mm-hmm. Um, so within scientific research, this is an extra little um, maybe, I guess, exciting add-on, or, I don't know, interesting add-on. Um, the way which we cause this is by injecting, LPS into the amniotic fluid or down the trachea or via different methods. So LPS is basically makes up the cell wall of a gram negative bacteria. So in this case, Escherichia coli, Um, just as a quick little add on, I don't know. And it's an endotoxin. So it does cause that inflammatory um, pathway. And what we know is that as a result of this in itself, it's able to cause significant damage to white matter, both within the periventricular white matter and within the subcortical white matter. And this can lead to diseases such as periventricular leukomalacia, intraventricular hemorrhage and cerebral palsy. Mm -hmm. And that's just some of them, Mm -hmm. really. So this is just the inflammatory response. We haven't even considered the possibility of both maternal and neonatal sepsis yet. And I guess this goes more into what you know about because I'm only looking at inflammation, but Mm -hmm. neonatal sepsis we're particularly interested in early neonatal sepsis and what we do know of course that sepsis means infection and particularly blood infection and we know that the consequence of not treating this is devastating mm-hmm. in babies and
1: i guess as well like why like as clinicians do we care about neonatal sepsis especially early neonatal sepsis that occurs before 48 hours the mortality rate is extremely high yes so Th- that's a, a reason why we're worried about it. And it's not something that's very common. That's the other issue with it. Mm. So it's not common and it's and it's very, very devastating. Yeah. So that's why we care about it.
0: Yeah. And as a consequence of that, we do have a really low threshold for commencing antibiotics postnatally. So even the slightest increase in maternal temperature will result in a commencement of therapy, even when cultures haven't been taken yet. Yeah. And so well. we,
1: we call this um, empir- empirically treating yeah. So yeah, with childrens with, with children that have suspected neonatal sepsis, we would treat before we actually get the result back. Yeah. That's how devastating the condition is. Yeah. And it's not only, I guess, the meningitis that comes with it; it's the long standing effects that the meningitis has on baby. Yeah. So of course. Meningitis in itself can lead to destruction of the elementary canal and lead to hearing loss, but then also the antibiotics that we use to treat sepsis, things like gentamicin, are very damaging to both hearing and the kidneys. And yeah. so a lot of the time, these babies just lose their hearing completely. So, um, you know, I guess it's not only mortality that we're worried about, but also There's the some, disability that yeah. stems from neonatal yeah. sepsis.
0: Yeah, and when I was looking into this, actually, it was funny because I-, I completely forgot about this from my midwifery replacement. But we do see an increase in maternal temperature sometimes when we give them um, an epidural, when we do, give mums yeah. an epidural. Yeah. Um, but it's not because of choreo, but mm. then... We Again, worry it's that about, massive but yeah, it's factor. like yeah, and it's interestingly,
1: crazy. Uh, like actually, because you said that there was this paper that was done recently as well, looking at well, not recently, like the past two years. <laughs> That's recent at, um, enough. <laughs> yeah, but looking at um, looking at um, the link between prematurity, infection, and rates of autism. And one of the things that people commented that they didn't like about this paper was that they just hadn't taken into account a lot of the confoundings. Because one of the um, things that the, this paper drew out, the conclusions they made, mm-hmm. was that there's a possibility that epidurals in women could be leading to increased rates of oh, autism. Oh, come on. Which, of course, you're not taking that into account that, you know, this, this hyperthermia-induced, just, um, epidural-induced hyperthermia yeah. can contribute to you know a then false the that, rate as well exactly possibly.
0: right and then the the downfall the downstream effects of what we treat baby with and what we exactly. give baby and yeah it's it's so yeah, that's let's insane. be very
1: clear in this podcast we're not at all saying that women should be scared about getting epidurals no please pain management please, is always first on the list yes
0: yeah. yes please don't please don't take that into account as well um and please don't say no to antibiotic treatment as well because mm-hmm. remember that not giving your baby antibiotics when they need it is devastating Um, So let's talk about some risk factors for early onset sepsis.
1: Yeah, sure. So these are things like prolonged rupture of membranes. So that, Mm -hmm. again, gives that increased kind of passageway um, for the bacteria to infect baby. Fetal distress, any infections. So things like UTI and gastroenteritis. Mm -hmm. This is why um, women have that midstream urine test during their screening visits. Um, mm-hmm. Just to pick up on asymptomatic bacteria, yeah. so women may have UTIs but not know about it. Mm-hmm. Um, any any procedures that we do, so our acrogenic causes. So these are things like cervical sutures, and we do this in women with preterm birth or in women with um, with that uh, insufficient Sh- cervix. Cervix, yeah. yeah. Um,
0: to like yeah to prevent correct yeah. Yep.
1: Um, premature birth, so choriamnionitis is the cause, that's what we're really trying to do. And then that GBS swab, so if they're positive, that's a high risk. Yep. Another thing that we should say as well with obstetrics pre- procedures is things like um, your um, amniocentesis as and things well. like that also, also increase, increase risk. your risk.
0: Yeah. yeah, 100%. Um, So, what to look out for in baby, or what um, pediatricians, or midwives, or obstetricians look out for in baby. Um, Remember, most of the things that we will talk about will decrease the APGAR score as well. So we look at pallor or pale and unhealthy appearance, lethargy of baby, jaundice, fever, hypothermia. And it's important to note that one third of infants will actually present as normothermic. So no problems in their fever whatsoever. Um, Increased respite, grunting, cyanosis. Tachycardia or bradycardic episode. It's just a whole list of yeah. just and, and it's very hard. Like, it could be anything. Both
1: ends of the spectrum. <laughs> yeah, That's
0: why it's hard. yeah. Yeah. So poor perfusion, high protension, poor feeding, abdominal distension, and loose stools. And
1: these are all things that occur in normal babies. Uh, yeah. Well, so it's just it a lot
0: harder. <laughs> it's just insane. I'm sorry, I shouldn't be laughing, but it's just it. It's mind boggling. It like, is. yeah, it's just such a small um. You just have such a small like leeway to be yeah. like, and, and not leeway, why... sorry, but a small room for error. Yeah. And that's why I detection. guess with
1: neonatal sepsis, there's just no, no room for second guessing. If you suspect it, you treat it. it
0: you, like go, just mm-hmm. go. Yeah, so um, in regards to treatment?
1: Yeah, so we've got stabilisation of the baby in the delivery room and mm-hmm. we want to identify those things of sepsis. So as soon as we start to have decreased gas scores, we start to think about a possibility of sepsis. Um, we may even need to go to full resuscitation in these cases. And a lot of the times we start off with things like PPV, which is your positive pressure ventilation. That's usually done on BiPAP and then we might even try CPAP. So this is your... The ways that we deliver the pressures here, yep. so it, it's either going to be biphasic or continuous,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and then we've also got this thing about your PEEP, so your peak expiratory
0: end pressure, end pressure, yeah, yeah, and that's usually and your about- PIP. And your PPA yeah, That's about pressure. plus
1: five, I think, when it comes to... Yeah, something like that. Some something ...with mean. the neonate, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and then you're also going to be treating for shock. So a lot of the times, um, these babies with neonatal sepsis either will have a hypovolemic shock, meaning that they have a low fluid volume, but this is sometimes, but most commonly, they have septic shock or distributive shock, generally mm-hmm. septic shock. Um, and this generally kind of results in vasodilation. Um, and... A really good way to explain this and to think about this is to think about um, your body system as just a closed circuit, and then what happens when you know a hose gets wider. Mm-hmm. Um, although you might get increased flow, because the amount of blood in the body is still the same, what actually happens is the pressure drops. Mm-hmm. And when the pressure drops, that means that the heart has to pump a lot harder, harder. to distribute the same amount of fluid um, to your tissue. Yeah. Um, often the tissues just don't get the fluid and so you get cell death. And so, especially when we think about our specific end organs, things like, you know, the kidneys, for example, if they're not well perfused, this is how we can get shutdown of the kidneys and get kidney failure. Yeah. And this is often kind of, you know, when you get decreased flow to the heart, decreased flow to the lungs, to the brain and to the kidneys, yeah. you have this end organ failure and, and yeah. this is what leads to death.
0: It's a so, crap show. I was yeah. going to say SHIT yeah. show. <laughs> but, but we
1: need to treat this. And so you yeah. need to treat the shock. So... Um, that's the first thing. And then because the tissues are under stress, we often get these acid based disturbances in the body. So, whether mm-hmm. that be a respiratory or metabolic acidosis, and we usually treat this with bicarbonate um, just as a buffer, I guess. Yep. You know, going back to first year chemistry, um, mix an acid and a base together and you get a salt. A, Shut up. You know, so, I'm going to season my steak next time. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I hate your um, bloody good memory. It's annoying sometimes. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so after initial stabilization of an neonate um, with potential, potential infection in the delivery room, we do things like provide baby with warmth. We monitor vital signs. We maintain like the maintenance of fluid and electrolyte balance. Correction of things like metabolic or respiratory acidosis. Continue to manage that circulate those circulatory issues like hypovolemia. We look to create a homeostasis with um, in regards to their glucose. Um, and we do things like treat for things like respiratory distress. Um, we also want to assess and treat things like thrombocytopenia if they're occurring, um, and any sort of coagulopathy if present, as well. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's about it. This is a long episode for was, us. Was, I
1: thought it was going to be about fifteen minutes, but it was much longer than I thought. It Bro,
0: was when when I do something, I go all out. <laughs> yeah, no. Anyway, so like always, <laughs> you can find us on social media. <laughs> Don't, don't curse me we can, you can find us on um, social media including Instagram, Facebook and Twitter and you can stream this episode on Castbox, Spotify and Apple Podcasts yeah
1: and please do like us and leave us a review and share this podcast with your friends because that's really how it gets around
0: yeah tell us how crappy this episode was because I wrote it but
1: still give us 5 <laughs> stars
0: <laughs> please so like always guys I'm Kayla and I'm Evan stay safe guys
1: and take care of yourselves
0: bye